This morning in uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 14, 15, and 16. Just to kind of uh, help you out, um, part of the introduction, uh, uh, shortly thereafter, we'll be looking at uh, 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 Ephesians chapter 5 for a little bit, one verse, Ephesians 5.19, and Colossians 3.16. So, uh, you know, if you can find your way to First Timothy and those other two places, then you'll be uh, in good shape as we look at our text uh, this morning. So we've been doing uh, something a little unconventional, which we'll continue today. Uh, we've been trying to leave a little extra time to do some Q&A. It's been extremely... Feedback I've been receiving has been really helpful for people to kind of understand the text a little bit more. Sometimes one question, someone has one question, but but 10 or 15 other people have the same question. So it's been kind of... Uh, kind of interesting uh i i enjoy doing it as you can as you can tell but it is a little unconventional but you're out of calvary chapel so hey what's a little a uh, bit of outside the box so um so we'll do that so let's pray and then we'll begin our we'll begin our study this morning so first timothy three, fourteen through 16 father we thank you for this morning and we pray lord that you would speak to our hearts this morning, and um, Lord, that we could just grow in Christ, be transformed uh, by your grace. Uh, Lord, do that this morning for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writes this in verse 14. He says this to Timothy, I, I hope to come to you soon. By, uh, but I am writing these things to you. And so we don't really know exactly what was delaying uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, perhaps he was conceivably in chains in Rome. But he has a heart, and I think the takeaway from these first words here in our text that's under our study this morning is that Paul has a real connection with Timothy. He's known him since he's a young man. And Timothy is pastoring a critical church, both geographically and by influence. And so Paul is mentoring Timothy, he's investing in his life, and we see there the the model for, for ministry, especially when you get to Titus 2, you can see that same uh, mentoring, that same uh, coming alongside uh, men, as we see in our text here, but also women in Titus chapter 2. And so the model that we see for discipleship in the early church was very personal, it was very one-on-one, and the Apostle Paul is concerned because Timothy, as we know already, and, and which we'll really uh, come to appreciate in chapters 4 and 5, is that he's, he's really under a lot of pressure as a young pastor. And the Apostle Paul says, look, I can't, I can't make it. I'm delayed. And so here's a, great, here's a letter, uh, and, and Paul, in the next few words, will share the purpose of, of his letter. So... Verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. This next verse is is amazing in content. You could pass it out yourself, but if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave. And the focus in uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 is the different roles uh, 
that servants, in the broadest sense, that, ser- uh, that servants have in the life of the church. And there's one category of servants, as we looked at, that goes by a lot of different synonyms. You can call them bishop. You can call them uh, teaching elder. You can call that person in that role pastor. If you looked at a first century document that was written around 100 AD called the Didache, which was the first real manual for church worship, uh, the person in that role, that senior pastor, that uh, bishop, at the end of the first century, uh, around 100 AD, that person was called the president of the congregation. And so, but the roles that Paul calls for, first of all, an overseer, a male because of creation order that would oversee the doctrine of the church. But once we take a step away from that, we're simply just talking about servants, whether it's male or female. And people that have sensed God calling them to minister both within the context of the church. And when we look at early church history, we see that they ministered within the context of the church and within the community. And so people were raised up within the church, not only to serve the needs of the church, but also to go out into the needs of the community. And so you see many women, early church fathers, describing the activity of women, going into homes and ministering to people that were sick and down and out and downtrodden. You see them coming alongside the people in their community to serve them. And we see that here, although it's somewhat hidden, at least one aspect of it, until last night. And we see that uh, Jasmine, uh, the Bags of Hope, uh, and many of you put those together last night, about 85 of them, I'm told. And those Bags of Hope go to women that are uh, in, in difficult situations, whether they're in a shelter, whether they're being trafficked, whether they're being sexually exploited. It's, a, it's, it's that part of being raised up as a servant, having a heart for God, and going out in the community. You can see that in our brother, Scott Consul, who was the key person to uh, uh, find the grants, raise the money to establish a house for those that are addicted to opioids in Tewksbury. Our own Scott, you know? And raised up in the church, has a heart for God, heart to serve, and goes out into the community. We have a couple ladies. Um, I always get this confused. Stacy, Tracy, Tracy, Stacy, 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 and Lauren. Uh, <laughs> it's like Billy Bob, Bob Don. You know they're brothers. You know how, how can you tell they all look? They look the same. You know, Bobby Don, Don Bob. Um, down south, that would work. It'd be Billy Bob and John Bob and Who Bob and Bubba Bob. Anyway, I'll get back to. Move on. Thank you. <laughs> but but when we see uh, Lauren and Stacy, you know, going into uh, DYS, and, and, and that is the heart that Paul's calling for. That's how the church ought to operate. People that have a love for God within the church and then take that love of God into our communities to make a difference. The world was turned upside down because the church became a force in the community and not a mere destination on the Lord's Day. 
And so we see that activity taking place, and the Apostle Paul says, I, I want you to, to understand how to order and how one should behave themselves uh, in the church. And then Paul goes on, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the what? In the household of God. See, the church is a family. It's not a corporation. The head of the church, um, I hate to inform, you know, ministers and pastors, but the head of the church is who? It's Jesus Christ. And we're a family to one another. And I can say with, with, with all of my affection, all of my heart, you, you have been a family to me. Over 30 years coming alongside as my brothers and sisters in Christ, um, helping me uh, as a young man, helping me raise a family, helping me go through some of the most horrendous, difficult times in my life, and still standing beside me as I, as I move forward in life with faith and hope that you're right there next to me. And I love you with all my heart. But, but we're family. We're not just a mere 501c3 or a chapter 180. But we have a connection and affection and heart for one another. And, and that's why Paul uses the term the household of God. And not only is it the household of God, it's the household of the living God. That our, that our Lord and Savior, as we celebrated last week, he's not in the grave. There's no, there's no body to be found because he was died and was buried. And on the third day, rose again and then ascended to the Father. And so we have a, the Lord is the God of a live, is a living God. Take a look at the text with me. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Last kind of phrase here in, in this verse, a pillar and a buttress of truth is that we are along with, we're not the only one, along with every other gospel-proclaiming, gospel-protecting church, is that we are a witness to our community of what? Truth. We stand in the midst of our community, and we are a witness of the truth, of the love of Jesus Christ, and that salvation is found in only one name, and that name and that person is Jesus Christ. We stand, not just ourselves, but the churches of our community that are preaching and proclaiming the gospel. We stand for that truth, and we act, and I don't quite understand all this. I mean, it's rather deep, but we act as a, a protective from the depravity of our community. That's why it's so important that we're in our community, that if you're, especially the, the, the school teachers that are in our midst and the, the people that, are, that are, are the first responders that are in our church, is that we engage our community because we are a what? A buttress and a pillar of truth. Now, when we come to this next verse, this next verse is simply remarkable when you put it in context. Because what Paul does is that he's, he shares an, a hymn of the early church that helps us to understand how church leadership is possible in the church. He shares a hymn to Timothy, and, 
and uh, expresses himself in song. Now, I know a lot of churches don't, you know, they, they see the worship time and the singing time as, as just kind of the appetizer. You know, it's just like the, the, the it's like the, the little shrimp, you know. Just give me the little shrimp and now bring me the meat. But in the early church, when you look at early church history and the development of the primitive church, the early church had a, as one of the core things that they did on the Lord Day that they that they sang psalms and hymns and spiritual songs unto the Lord. And the content was gospel-centered, Christ-centered. It affirmed there's something that happens. There's something transformational that happens when you sing. And when you sing unto the Lord, your heart becomes enlarged, and the, the theological truths that you give mental assent to, they somehow become grafted into us that they become part of our, our very core, part of our very very nature. Two scriptures that, that speak to this, and I'll give you some examples of hymns that are, uh, snippets of hymns that are in the New Testament, and then we'll go to the hymn here and, and, and parse it out. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and this, is, this might come as a little shock to some of you, like more reserved uh, New Englanders, but be that as it may, you'll be okay. Take a deep breath, Put on your big boy pants and read this, <laughs> read this verse with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Ready? Do it together. Addressing one another. Oh, come on. Right, here we go. Everybody there? 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, I want to affirm you because last week was... There was some extraordinary singing going on here last week. It was robust. And our young people leading us today was sweet and tender, and the vocals were just excellent. But this is the the way the early church expresses itself in glorifying God and and bringing honor and praise to Jesus on the last day. And as you do that, it's a transformational experience that transforms your inner man. That what you assent to in your mind, you sing with your heart, and it changes your life. Another one, come with me to uh, Colossians uh, for a minute. And uh, Colossians chapter 3. We'll look at verse, say, 16. And, and the same thing. I'll give you a minute to get there. Colossians three sixteen. Like singing was so much part of the early church is that when, when you look at some of the, uh, the ancient historians, one of the, one of the hallmarks uh, of the early church is they, they met on the Lord's day. They met on the first day of the week, and they were always singing. One of the other marks of the early church is that they had a heart for the poor. They had a heart for little children that were going to be abandoned and took them in. And so they expressed themselves with song and worship, but with deed and action. Uh, look at Colossians 3. I gave you a minute to get there. Verse 16. Say, would you, would you, let's do it together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, some of you are from New England. You need to, like, inform your, your, your face that, it, you know, smile face, you know. 
Be joyful. Now, I know you're joyful inside, you know, but, but to let that expression out is transformational. It changes your disposition towards life. Like when I'm sad and melancholy, I don't go listening to 101.7, the bull. Now, all you sin is just identified yourself, so I know who to pray for now. But I listen to Caleb. And I'll encourage myself in the Lord and let, let those sweet psalms and hymns and spiritual songs produce joy uh, and peace and a sense of his presence in my heart. Paul did that. Come back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and, and we'll look at verse 16. Paul writes this. He says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. So Paul says, Great is the confession of the mysterion. And mysterion in Greek, as you guys know, is something that was hidden, but now revealed. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, we look back at the Old Testament, we say, oh yeah, certainly Jesus came and suffered, and, but it was, not, it was not plain to see. But what now has been revealed through the Son is that God so loved the world, he sent his Son to be a propitiation, to be an atoning work, to be a ransom, that all those that believe in him, that confess his name, that call upon his name, that they'll be saved. That was once hidden, now revealed. And in the hem, he gives us an understanding of that. The hem is in, oh, let's see, six parts. One, two, three, four, five parts today, six parts next week. But look at the first part with me. The hem of the confession is he was manifested in the flesh. Come with me to Philippians chapter 2, which really expresses this well. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 is another one of these ancient hymns of the church. And what Paul wants us to understand is that spiritual leadership in the church comes about through Christ's likeness and Christ transforming us and the inner man and the example of that transformation is in Christ. And so in context here, this hymn gives us the key the understanding of how do we achieve spiritual leadership? Well, we follow our king. We follow our leader. We follow our elder brother. Philippians 2 gives us a good picture of that. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours where? In Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, say it with me, to the glory and our joy and our happiness. Because it's Christ who has gone before us. He is our example. He is the key to spiritual leadership. 
Secondly, when we look at the second little uh, aspect of the song, uh, the hymn that Paul shares, is that Jesus was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was vindicated or justified by the Spirit, not in the sense that he was once sinful but made righteous, but in the sense that he was declared to be by the Holy Spirit what he always was completely justified before the Father. Here's a great little cue, insight. Everything that Jesus won, we have because we're in him. And Jesus was justified, pronounced what? Not guilty. And we are justified as we have faith in him. Come with me to Romans chapter 5 for a minute and just let me affirm that truth. Romans chapter 5. And we'll look at uh, Romans 5, 1 and then the end of chapter 4. Therefore, since we have been dakayo, legal term, pronounced what? Not guilty. We are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the last verse of chapter 4. Who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our what? Our justification. Jesus was always approved, accepted by the Father. But man, when he rose from the dead, the Father sealed the deal for all time, for all eternity. Paul says he was vindicated. Next, seen by angels. How about Hebrews 1.14? All that Jesus won on the cross is ours in him, in Christ, by faith. How about Hebrews 1.14? They ask the question rhetorically. Are not angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? He was proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and he was taken up to glory 1 Corinthians 15, which we celebrated last week, which we talked about five affirmations that come out of the resurrection, that he was, he was taken up into glory as the first fruits, and so won't you and I. Either, either before the rapture or when our time's, up on, our time's up on earth, we will be taken up to glory to be with him forever. And Paul sings this mighty hymn, shares this mighty hymn, a Christ-centered, gospel-centered truth that anchors how spiritual leadership is possible in the church. Spiritual leadership in the church is only possible by appropriating who you are in Christ Jesus, whether male or female. When you appropriate who you are in Christ, you come to the place that you can be useful for God, not only within the church, but where else? In the world, light and salt. Singing was a bedrock of the early church. They, they preached the word of God. They sang together. They broke bread, which we're going to do in a few minutes. And they fellowshiped with one another. Those four things, those four truths were the manifest, came out out of the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and they serve as the bedrock for spiritual leadership in the life of our church. Can you say amen? Amen. So I said we would do a few questions. I may re- renege on some of the answers, but be that as it may. But if you have a thought or a comment uh, about our text or singing or worship in the life of our church, 
we'll give you an opportunity to ask a question or two, and then we're going to close with the Lord's table. Yeah, Steve. Please stand up. Tell the people who you are so they get to know you and stay away from you. All right. Yep, go ahead. Yes. Thanks, Steve. Just know that it was antiphonal, which means without instruments, which means they didn't have any tambourines, and so that's why we do not have tambourines in the life of the church. There's no early church biblical witness for it. Tambourines are, are not acceptable in the life of our church. Uh, you need a special permit. There's only one permit issued, and our drummer has it, and that's it. So just thought I'd add a little historical context. Yes, go ahead. Tell us who you are. Amen. Amen. So how do we do the things that we do here? We look at the scriptures, but I default towards what was the church doing pre-Constantine, pre-Edict of Milan? What were they doing? Yeah, they were meeting. Yeah, they were meeting in uh, the earliest dig was Dura Ropa. They were meeting in a room just like this, a, a a house that they broke down the walls and and uh, probably sat sixty or eighty people, and uh, that's how they did church. They they it was very organic and participatory. People got to participate. It all wasn't like the show, like the Ed Conway show. <laughs> it wasn't that way at all. It was it was a the household of the living God. Matter of fact, there's a church in our area down on 128. That's what they call themselves, the Church of the Living God. The theology should drive the practice. And so his hymn is uh, Christ-centered, gospel-centered, and that drives all the other behaviors. Uh, so the, the core is theological, but the praxis is like this is what it looks like behaviorally and role-wise in, in the roles of the people. When you put it in its context, what you're going to see Paul is establishing proper behavior, proper roles of leadership. And then in the next two chapters, he's going to see what we're going to see is the dysfunctional elements that were in the church. So this is kind of a, I, I see this kind of as a hinge, these two verses, is that the, the whole letter is going to swing now uh, one way towards proper roles, and then he's going to address the dysfunctions within the life of the church. So this is a very pivotal kind of a pivotal type of verse. But you're correct, you know, the theology drives 
the behavior. That's what drives the behavior. Christ-like transformation. We good? All right. Let's uh, prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table this morning. Uh, If you're going to be available to pray for people, if you could come now, um, that would be great. And let's uh, take a moment. uh, And, you know, if something's not right between you and the Lord, uh, you know, take a moment and take care of business with the Lord and then come and step into his grace and participate in the Lord's table this morning.